Michael Waits Media, telling Asia's stories. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Daniel Wen. Sure, I got that wrong. The CEO and co-founder. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. The CEO and co-founder of Writer Zen. Thank you. I like to be a lot more zen when I'm writing. Daniel, it's great to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having us, having me on the show. It is my pleasure. Why don't we give our listeners a little bit of your background for context before we jump into the main part of the conversation? Sure, sure. Well, before we get in there, just uh, to let you feel less bad, Nguyen is probably the hardest word or last, <laughs> h- hardest last name. I have not had anyone, including my wife, said it right. So including doing, my wife. doing good too. Including my wife. Yes, she is, uh, she's uh, Malaysian and uh, it's, it's been impossible and we've been married. We've known each other for 10 years. And That's awesome. Even until now. Yeah. So no, no, no hard feeling. Thank you very um, much. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, hi guys, my name is Danny Nguyen uh, and uh, I'm a founder, CEO and co-founder of Radizen. Well, there's a bit of background about me. Uh, I was born and raised in, in Hanoi, Vietnam. Okay. Went to state to study when I was 17, stayed there for about six years, ended up going back and start working for a uh, investment consultant firm before I go into Ho Chi Minh and start working for uh, another commercial bank. And that was when I was about 25. I felt like I need to do startup. I need to you know start something. And I felt like that was the right time to do because if I, I fear that if I don't do it then, I wouldn't have any more chance to make any mistake. Uh, later on, right, the risk would get too much. So I I went over to Malaysia and start uh, this Vietnamese fast food chain, right, called Obang Mi. Uh, we ended up open about four restaurants and then and we franchised one to Singapore. Uh, and at that point, I felt like I am not cut out for this, even though we were growing. But <laughs> I was definitely not cut out for cut out for F&B what for business. the restaurant business or from just oh, building yeah for businesses. the restaurant business. It's hard. I realized it's hard. I realized that you need a lot of love in doing restaurant right, right? and I, I realized over three years of doing it is i only love eating i'm not i don't really love um cooking <laughs> i don't love <laughs> restauranting yeah i don't really particularly love that so we sold the business and um i came back to vietnam i wanted to do something that is scalable that is um, a, a bit more complex of a problems that you know uh, right. intellectually challenging more intellectually challenging i wanted to create a product you know, something that would, uh, would would solve a universal problem, sort of. Uh, and I realized that uh, we, we came to conclusion that, you know what, I'm going to try to build some sort of software. don't know what it is yet, uh, but I would like to base it on some giant uh, like Google or Facebook because those are the two companies uh, that sort of are going to remain there over the course of at least 10 to 20 years. I want to back up for a second, though, right? Yeah. You went to the United States when you were 17, Yes. Was that for high school as well? Yeah, high school. So where did you go? Uh, 11th grade. Where did you go? I went to, I went to Vermont. It's a very funny story, actually. <laughs> we, <laughs> went to, we went to an agent, right? And they have a list of high school and presented to me. And majority of the schools actually on California, uh, the, the West, the West Coast. Right. Because that's where a lot of majority of the Vietnamese communities are. Well, there, Asians you know, are there. And yeah, for sure. Asian are there. Uh, and I was like... No, if I'm going to go to the United States, I want to try to stay as far away from the Vietnamese community as possible because right. I want to learn English and I right. want to learn. It's no help <laughs> just to be American. in a place where there are a yeah. bunch of other Vietnamese people. 
Yeah, you know. Um, so we were. I, I was like, I was thinking about it. And I was look. There's the list. That there's this school called United Christian Academy, and it was in Vermont. And I was like, where's Vermont? <laughs> I, I've never heard of. I've never heard of this name. It's this state. And uh, but I told my mom, this sounds like a place that we, I'm not gonna find any Vietnamese people. So <laughs> I'm gonna go there. It's not big city. It's not area. I'm just gonna go. <laughs> so I ended up there. I, I just remember the first time I landed at the airport in Vermont, in Burlington City, and I expect, you know, oh, I'm in the United States of America now, you know, the biggest, you know, the greatest country on earth. And must have been some, like, a lot of sky hirings, you know, building and all that stuff, like a car, running routes, busy street. I landed in Burlington, and I was like, man, this airport is smaller than the airport I left it from. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I spent... I spent the next two years living there with a neighbor that is like 100 meter away from our house. And when I opened the door, there's just field and yeah. cows and um, mountain. When did you arrive? Like what month was it? Do you know? Uh, I can't really remember. I think it was starting the first. I guess that was the end of uh, summer. So it's beginning new New Year's school year. So did you see the leaves? Semester. Did you see the leaves change colors? In yes, Vermont? yes, yes. Tell me so that's not gorgeous. spectacular. Oh my gosh. That was the most beautiful. I, I landed, I was like, man, this is, this is beautiful. It is beautiful in Vermont. Beautiful. But, yeah. then, but then I got hit with the snow and it wasn't very beautiful. <laughs> it was only beautiful in the first two days. When I said, oh my gosh, that's snow. But that's it. The right. coldness killed me here. I mean, I'm, I was born yeah. in Vietnam, so. Yeah, so my family's originally from Boston. So I spent plenty of time in the Northeast. And if I ever see snow again, it'll be too soon. <laughs> I hate it. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> and where did you go to college then? <laughs> so I went to college. I fly across the country to Seattle. So <laughs> I was like, you know, I already experienced the east side of <laughs> like America. May as well go all the way to the west. Why not? And so I flew over there and then I was like, I like this school. We ended up. So I ended up there. Why not? Seattle. So you, yeah. you come back to Vietnam. You worked at a big company first, but why did you think... You said, I wanted to, I just knew I had to start my own thing. And I had to do it when I was young so that if I made a few mistakes, it was okay because the risk is lower there. You have fewer responsibilities. But where did this idea come from? Like, is your family a family of entrepreneurs? Were your friends building their own stuff? Or did you just like read the news and say, this is the thing to do? No, my, my, both of my parents are working for State Bank of Vietnam. So Got we're it. not coming from any background of doing entrepreneur, being entrepreneur. But I don't know. I, I just always have a feeling, or maybe I'm just not very fit with corporate life. Yeah. So we were doing like all this like nine to five. And I realized at some point, like, I really hate this. Yeah. Everybody does. It's not, I'm, I was, a, yeah, it's not like I was unhappy or whatnot. You know, I have a group, have a pretty decent job then. And was young, you know, when you're young, it's not so much of, oh, I, I'm looking for the happiness inside. It's just, I just don't, I feel like I could, I could try, you yeah, know? Why not? Um, I want to give it a shot. You know, I don't know where it bring me to. I was young. So I just know I need to do it. Fair enough. Yeah. You said you, you looked at Google, you looked at Facebook, and you thought, I want to solve a big problem. And I, Did you say you want to work with Facebook and Google? Uh, not particularly. But I, so my, my reasoning is this. Uh, I felt like I, I don't want to create something completely new up the water. You know, I felt okay. like if I want to create something, it should be 
a little more on the safe side, safer side. You know, okay. I'm, I'm not the guy who go out and boldly say that I'm going to create this complete new thing who change the whole industry. There's so many along the way that you could do that. The thought process behind that is that you see this giant company that create an entirely new set of demand for users. For example, now the, for Google, knowledge is now on your fingertips, right? right? And al along with that, they create a new market, new market opportunity. Uh, for example, if people want to do SEO, people want to do uh, Google Ads, they will need some sort of software to support them with the things that they do, right? So if we were to build anything, we want, I want to build it on the shoulder of a guys who will be sure be there for a long time. I understand. So that's my, that's, that's my reasoning behind. And what about writers then? So where does that come from? What is it, first of all, just for people that may not know? Oh, it's the consolidated platform for digital content writing. Uh, and by digital content writing, we focus mainly on uh, content that you write for blogs, for example, um, that helped you rank on Google, which we call SEO, search engine optimization. Right. It's becoming one of the biggest uh, trend in marketing, in digital marketing nowadays, because it's what they call it, inbound marketing. So it's create organic traffic, right? So you write certain blogs and uh, the blog fit exactly with the demand of users. They, when they search for that term, you appear on it. They will go in there, they read your blog and in your blog, there's linking to other knowledge. So you click on it and you know, after a while reading your, your stuff, they become your customer. So instead of you run an ad, you actually provide uh, values inside and content so that users will actually convert into into your code. But how does this work? So do you have to write a blog a week, a blog a day? And do you have to use like Google trending search words? Like what is the process that actually has to happen for somebody to write a blog that actually is impactful enough that it turns into inbound marketing? Well, there's two things you have to do, right? I mean, Google essentially is a supply and demand machine. Google, Google exists and thrive based on the fact that they could match between the demand of the users, which is the keyword that they search, to the supplier, the corresponding supplier, which is the website, and they have the, that kind of content to match, right? So the first thing you have to do if you want to do SEO is you have to understand what Google wants, right? right? They will want you to, uh, first of all, you need to make sure your blog and your website is laid out very nicely, you know, accordingly to their rule. Uh, and then the speed of your website has to be very good. Right. And then the design of your website has to be up to their standard. And then you want to know what the demand are, which is what the keyword, which is your user search. So you have to do two things. First, satisfy Google. And second, satisfy your users. And so the process of satisfying your users is where you do this thing called keyword research. And you research what your users are searching about. And then once you know what that demand are, you try to provide it for them. Yeah, okay. So that's, that's what our, our tool does. We help them to do all of that. So normally if you do it manually, you're not going to be able to do it verify. You may be able to do it like 10 keyword, but with our tool, you, you probably can do about thousand keyword in maybe half an hour. Let's say I've never used writers then before, but I have a blog and I want to start using it to help me do this thing. How does this whole process work? Can you run me through that? Sure. So the first thing is we, uh, you will have to do this process called topic research and topic research essentially is to figure out, let's say if you write about a topic, uh, nutrition plan, right? I think that's a good topic to start. Uh, and so the first thing Google will want your website to be is that Google want to know, are you an expert in nutrition plan? Cause they want to make sure that you are, you know, about the stuff that you write about. Right. Sure. Right. 
Uh, and for example, if you are an expert about nutrition plan, you want to research that. What is Google's definition of expertise on this keyword? So let's say you are an expert. You will want to write not just about nutrition plan. You will want to write about nutrition plan for athletes, nutrition plan for people with diabetes, nutrition plan for people with that good for your health, uh, diet, uh, nutrition plan that you can lose weight. So all of these topics, we call it subtopic on the main topic, which is nutrition plan. And the first thing is you need to figure out what are all these subtopics are so that you know, okay, if I write about all this, at least to Google, you'll become an expert, right? So that's the first step. And so after you're done with this topic, sort of like forming, we call it pyramid forming, right? Like a topic tree, right. um, you have that. And then you start looking for the keyword, which is the user demand under each of these subtopic, right? For example, nutrition plan, you will see keyword like, uh, you know, there's a lot of keywords that you search randomly a day, right? Uh, how do I write down? How do I find a nutrition plan that fit with my daily schedule? Right. Something like that. That'll be like a really long and random keyword. But there's a bunch of people looking for exact same keyword. And if you find that keyword and you write a piece of content that tailor exactly that type of need, and there's not many competitors know about those keywords, you will rank Google like, you know, what? oh, this guy know about this. This guy, not only they know about the topic, but they also know about the demand in which the user have, I'm gonna have them rank on top. So when you rank on top, then very likely you will have the traffic. People search, you, they see it, and they will go into your blog, and they start reading, and they eventually convert into your customer. And Writer's End does that? We does that. So we does all of the things, the whole workflows. So <laughs> what we sell is, but not one features, we sell the whole workflows. You do the topic research based on our algorithm, and then you do the keyword research also based on our tool. We develop a few proprietary sort of like our own technology to, to help users do it very easily. Okay. And then you go into uh, kind of conducting your content. You start writing using our platform as well. Under writing will help you to research all the competitors. Like for example, you want to know the top 10 guy, what do they do that is correct? And you want to kind of copy some of that, right? And then um, you we kind of provide you with service where you will be able to check for plagiarism to make sure that your content is unique so that when when your content go up on google google doesn't go hey this guy you copy content something yeah you can't do and that so you don't want to plagiarize other people's stuff yeah yes go ahead yes yeah and then uh, we provide you with collaboration tool where you can sh share the link to freelancer and they just go in there they write for you they send it back to you you can check the whole things if it's good you get done that's it everything from a to z that's what we do. So not only did you build a tool that helps you understand what the keywords are, what the research is, and helping to build that pyramid, but you did the next step and also built a marketplace where if I don't want to go out and use the results of that, I can hire somebody through your, through your site. We don't provide marketplace, but we provide you with a tool where you can share and check progress with people who you will work with. Interesting. Maybe I just gave you an idea. <laughs> we thought of that. We I'm sure of you that. did. But yes. <laughs> you're, way, you're way smarter than I am. What is the sort of core philosophy behind building Writer's Zen? I think for a long time, we, we wasn't able, I wasn't able to really uh, figure it out very clearly. I just did it out of my own instinct. But I realized over time that um, we value design so much. And that's become one of our most important philosophy behind designing our tool. To us, functionality 
It's just to build to impress users. And design is actually what makes them stay. Really? And I know this statement sounds so <laughs> unconventional, right? A lot of people think that, oh, you know, it's a good design. That's probably to impress people. But for example, uh, the reason why I came up with this was was when I first bought the first Samsung phone. I was an Apple fan for a very long time, right? I used all everything, MacBook, and everything. Sure. I love that design. I'm the guy who, who really uh, a sucker for, for good design. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I, I saw this Samsung phone, it's, it's Samsung S8. I remember yep. the first time it came out, and it was to have the curved screen. Yep. And I said, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And then the, the color of the screen is so nice, and it's so impressive, all the functionality they have, right? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to quit iPhone this time. I'm right. going to try this Samsung for the first time. And Samsung back then is already set the standard of like the best Android phone out there. So I bought the thing and I go in there and I start using. Everything is so pretty. Everything is very pretty. But I start running into these little problems where I, I scroll things, right? And, and as I was scrolling, I realized that I think it was like 0.002 seconds lacking compared to the iPhone I was using. Yeah. And then when I scroll all the way to the bottom, it didn't, it has this really bugging feeling where you, you, you scroll and it's just stop. It feels broken. And I, I, yeah. And I was like, what the heck is this? I have to figure out what it is that make me feel so weird about it. And I look it up and it's called rubber band effect. And only on Apple product, you will have that Apple band effect where you scroll and then at the bottom, it was bounce up and then go back down yeah they did that on the first iphone that's when i realized samsung created something so impressive right but i'm not going to stay with them yeah because all these little things that's what truly is good design exactly and that's what apple does right same with like a macbook um i mean look at the macbook now it hasn't changed the design since like 2015 and if you have a macbook you don't stick anything on it you keep it pristine as it is, and you look at it every day, and you say, "Oh my gosh, how could it be so pretty?" You don't do that with a PC. You never do that with a PC. No, never. No one's ever looked at a Dell and said, <laughs> "I gotta have two of those: one for upstairs and one for downstairs." <laughs> or you don't ever take out your cleaning stuff and clean the the between the 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 keyboard of your PC no. to make sure that it looks pristine. Because who cares? But isn't it true? So Apple actually did say, "Design is not the way something looks; it's just the way it works." right? The way it feels. And the way it feels. And that's exactly what you're saying. And the other thing that you haven't mentioned is that functionality is easily copied. I can cut and paste somebody's code into my thing, but it's very hard for me to copy the design, right? And in the combination of those two things as a philosophy is heavily differentiating, I think. Yeah. It's easy said than done, done. For you sure. Know, a lot for of sure. people would probably say the same thing, but design of software required every level of your company to really believe in the same thing. So the design guy will definitely say yes, but can you make the code guy to say, yes, I will stick with this design no matter what. Right. Because if you look at a really good design, the code guy will like, no, it's impossible. I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm not going to do it. It's, oh, it's, a, it's, I can't do it. I can't. But you see the, the, the way we have to do is that we have to put it as a philosophy behind everything we do. And if a guy go into our start working on our company, that's the first thing they'll have to know. You are a designer at heart. If you're a coder, you design your code. Right. If you are a designer, you design the graphic, you design the UX, you design everything. If you are a marketing person, you design a campaign, you are a designer. And every product requires a really good design. You can't just do it based on an Excel sheet. 
that's not that's not gonna that's not gonna make a product impactful. It's such an interesting way to think about building products and writing software. Everybody's a designer. Hey, you design your life. You're you're a creator. And, and you know, in some level, people more someone could create more. You know, someone create less. But you create things. You know, you create your life. You choose your choice. Kind of make you a designer. No, you know, if you don't want it or not. Yeah, but once you start saying it explicitly, it makes you think about the things that you're doing in a different way. Yeah, that's true. It's a really interesting concept, Daniel. Really. How do you decide when you go out to hire people who the right people are to bring into your company? Because there is a real philosophy here, right? And because you're probably not hiring 20,000 people yet. Mm-hmm. When you bring somebody in, they have to fit in because if they don't fit in, even at the beginning, it'll be like a virus, right? It'll be just really bad. It's not just one bad person. It can disrupt the harmony. How do you do that? How do you go through and try to figure out who the right people are? Skill is one thing, but yeah. we don't really look particularly at skill. We look at characters. We, I actually, I spend a lot of time looking at characters. I look at the way they present their things. Do they care about their CV? Do they care about the interview that they are going to right. go? Did they actually look it up about me, about the product, about the company? Do they care? Do they really care about it, right? Because the way you care about certain things is also the way you conduct yourself in certain environments. Exactly. And then how was their relationship with their ex-boss, with their ex-colleagues, <laughs> right? And then are they, are they curious? Are they really curious, truly curious? Yeah. And the last one is how big is their ego, right? It doesn't really have anything to do with skill. <laughs> it's very interesting. You can teach a skill. It's almost like what we were saying before, right? Functionality, no problem. But design, you have to really like focus on it. But on the other hand, skills can be taught, but having character cannot be taught. It's really hard. Like you almost have it or you don't have it. And you can change some behavior, but not a lot of behavior. And if, like I said, if you bring somebody in whose character and whose philosophy does not match with the surrounding environment, it can be corrosive for everybody else and everything else that's there. Like it's not just toxic. It doesn't just get people sad. It could blow everything up. And it's really hard, right? So that's one of the way when I thought of building a team, yeah. I didn't think of, I never want to build a big team. I want to build very small team and let them start building their own team with the same DNA that I build them. Right. So we start writers and only like 10 people and okay. now we grow to 15. And you wouldn't believe, you know, we have these 15 young, really young kids who just graduated college interns somewhere here and there. None of them are from Ivy League school. We create a product that now the top four product of SEO software in the world, right? We are the high performer in, in fall 2021 in, in G2. We have like 5,000 plus users in like a short six months. They are all from Vietnam. These kids, they, they hardly even speak any English. How do they do it? How did they do it? It's so great though, isn't it? How did they do it? Well, the, the first thing is that because we keep a unit very small yeah. and I spend explicitly a lot of time with each of them. When we are able to do that, I realize one thing. I never say that you should trust each other, but they grow to just trust each other. Right. Because this message of functionality, look, you have to design and you have to put your heart into the things that you do. It goes against everything that they learn in business school. I value the quality of your output more than anything. 
And I keep saying that. I keep saying that every week. So one, uh, once a week, each of them got a slot of one hour with me. And I keep saying that constantly for about a month. And eventually, they transfer. And it's very fun. It's, it's almost, I've never done it. And, and when I start doing this, the whole thing just kind of transformed into this, this unit of people that I now can fully trust with the things that we do. Do they notice the change themselves? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In six months, and they said to me, I have no idea I could be where I am today. Really? It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And how fulfilling is that for you as a manager? Very. Or just as a person, really? Very fulfilling. This is probably the things when I, I will discuss with you a bit later. I want to build a really good product with the people who I love to work yeah. with. I, I count business as an infinite game. This is a very cool sort of like theory by, by Simon Sinek. You know, I'm not sure if you know. It's a, this is an infinite game. There's no winner or loser. Right. It's just if you, if you, if you do it with a mindset that it's going to last forever, uh, it's a game that you will build slowly. Um, you don't have to win. There's no winner. Tomorrow, if no you, there will be some different Daniel to do this. Right. So, so I choose the things that will make me enjoy this, this infinite game. Where did you come up with this phrase that you value quality output above everything else? I like it a lot. Is it something you read somewhere or is it just a feeling that you've had when you started building your, your own teams? Where does it come from? Well, it was actually, it came from, um, it's one of my thoughts. It's like when I was working and uh, I was reading the story of uh, Warren Buffett and he was talking about compound interest. Yeah. Right. And, and um, he was saying like, how would you invest 100,000 now? And in 20 years, we'll turn about $1 million. And it's if you just keep compound interest, you would put like 10,000 in every year or something, right? Yep. And the compound interest is like this really powerful machine. Yep. And it's powerful the longer you keep it, right? By the year 19 and, and when you hit 20, it's like double. And when I, when I read that, I, I realized that it doesn't just work with interest. It also works with errors. And it also works with decision. Right. So... With arrows, for example, if you if you make enough of a small arrows and you just keep allowing yourself to make that small little arrows, yeah. it will compound up to a point where I call it the horizon of no return. Right. Because the something tragic will happen. It's like a, a husband who uh, who cheated on his wife. It didn't start out when he's just like, I'm gonna go out and cheat. It started out by like, oh man, I, I have a bad day. I wish I could like text someone. And he started texting the first time. And I was like, oh, it's okay. Nobody, no, I don't know. Nobody knows. So it takes a second time. And it's compounded. But when it happened, people tend to think that, oh, that's his, 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 uh, his characteristic. He's a cheater. No, it's, he's just a really bad arrows stopper. You know, if, if, <laughs> if he, he stops at some point, if in three days in, and he realized, okay, this is not good. I'm going to stop. It wouldn't happen. The tragic will happen. And so everything has this compound uh, characteristic. And so are good decision, so are output. So majority of the things I, I, I see in, in business world is that you have to really turn out everything very fast, fast output. And yeah. you expect fast output will return very quality result. But fast output will very much 90% tend to produce errors. And if you compound this over time, if you because everyone put deadline on everything. So your, 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 your staff just keep, oh, I'm going to have to get this done. Getting it done will also equal to getting it done wrong. 
Yeah, getting it done poorly. I'd rather do nothing than do it wrong. There is a mentality, though, in business of doing things super fast. And I have this feeling, and even people talk to me about my own business, you're never going fast enough. And I just think building great things takes time. I really believe that. You always. The trade-off of great things is time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Lev Stone story uh, wrote 500 words a day when he wrote... Uh, a crime and punishment. I think it was left on stories or it was uh, uh, Dostoevsky. Yeah, we wrote Brother Kazamazov. He it was like 500 word a day for like a series of 10, I think five years. Right. And, and that's the great work. Yeah, but that's the point though, right? And even people talk about it in the startup context. Like if, you'd, if it's not working in a year, if it's not big enough in a year, if it's not a, worth a billion dollars in a year, it's not worth building. And the reality is that your biggest businesses in the world. Like if I said to somebody, when did Uber start? They might say, oh, three years ago. But it was more like 10 years ago. Yeah, it was 10 years already. Something like that, right? And I think it's true for every real business. Every big business, even Google didn't take off in its first like year. Mm -hmm. It was a few years in, just methodically build stuff. Yeah. And you're right. I think, I think it was my ninth grade teacher who said, it's okay to go fast, but you shouldn't rush because if you rush, you're going to break something. Yeah. Right? You, you definitely are going to make mistakes. That's the thing with fast output. And the thing is, is in the long run, you will be slow. So, for example, we, we build software, right? And one of the key things about software is that you have to build for scale. Any outsourcing company, if you give them a, a homework, let's say ask them to build a function, they'll probably say to you, yeah, I'm going to get it done in like a week. You want to get your stuff in a week, but that stuff will last for a hundred users right? because it doesn't build to scale. In order to build to scale, they're going to have to take one month to build just the foundational stuff. Right. So the root is called the pillar. And then you plug things in slowly as you go. You can't rush it. Did you learn this on the job? In other words, did you learn this as you were building or are these thoughts that you've been having for a long time and now you're just putting them into play? I just learn it as we, we build stuff. As we build stuff, I start reading stuff. Like, I just learn from experience. Like, I, I learned from the Samsung thing. It's funny how my brain, it's probably just how my brain works. Yeah, it sounds like so, it. I would just like, I would just read, like, for example, with, with Warren Buffett thing. I just read it. I was like, oh, I didn't really think about the money. I was thinking, what's well, compound interesting, really interesting. Yeah. And then suddenly it, it, it hit me with, oh, it's the same with arrows and the same with decision. And that's how things kind of link in my head. And it kind of boiled down to this sort of like philosophy and we, we put in the way we build things. Tell me again, when did you start building Writer's Zen? Uh, I think we wrote the first line of code on March. Of this year? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just very surprising. Like how did people find out about it, right? Uh, we launched on AppSumo, this uh, marketplace where uh, yep, I got software, it. when they first built, they, you kind of launch there and see, to kind of answer your hypothesis, right? You have some hypothesis like, oh, uh, does it a market fit product? You know, does people do, will people love it? People will love the way we kind of create products. Uh, we ended up becoming um, the best marketplace deal in AppSumo. One of the best marketplace deal in AppSumo in two months. And did that surprise you? Very much, yes, very much. Honestly, like I was, I was quite insecure about my way of doing things for a while. I was like, you know, all these people, they, they start and they build, they build things so fast and then they, they get money and they earn it. Like I, I, I built things, but I take things so slow. 
everything's in the design of the product we built. I know. I know the amount of radius for each curve of the card. I know the font size used for each of the body of the headers. I know the color code in each of the background that we use. We were so insanely obsessed with these little details. We, we, we have to test out the blue color of the call to action function for almost a week and the size of the button until I feel, I think we get it. So I was like, Am I crazy doing this? <laughs> Maybe a little bit, right? But isn't that okay? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no. We're still like that until now. It seems to be working. <laughs> yeah, but until we launch and then people were rushing in like, this is the best design product I've ever used. And I've used 100 of them. And that's when I realized that that's it. Design over functionality. We spend all this time thinking about our users, thinking every single bit of details about how they will interact with it and the payoff. And how do you feel about this idea that the customer is always right? Mm, I, I don't know. <laughs> the customer will, because you see there's always this, uh, you always, you're born with bias. And a million people have a hundred, uh, have a million bias. Right. Right. Before Apple come up with iPhone, everyone think that the phone that they have is a smartphone. Right. So, so we all never know what you really need until you see it. Yeah. And the customer are right sometimes, right? A lot of time, but not all the time. I never think of things that way. So it may not be the, I may not be the best customer centric kind of guys. I'm, I'm more of a, I think team centric. What does that mean though? The first priority of our business is to make sure our team our team understand the philosophy and they are very happy doing what they're doing and they are willing to do all of their ability to provide the highest quality output of everything they do. So I think this is actually a really important distinction. I think if you have a company where the employees are super happy and it doesn't mean that they're lazy and not working hard and just like drinking beer and having cake for dessert, right? It means that they're That's super happy about what they're building. Say it again. Mm -hmm. That's not happiness. No, at all. At zero. Yeah. But, but the point is that if your employees are happy, if your teams are happy, if they're motivated, the, the output, which gets back to this idea of quality output, should be amazing because they're so proud of it and they're so happy to be building it. It's a very different mindset, I think. You can yes. talk about customer centricity. I talk to people about this all the time and I get it. But if your teams are unhappy, in reverse, I think it's going to be really hard to be customer centric because you're never going to build the right stuff. So it's this weird loop, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? The people who interact with your users are not you. Right. They're your staff. Yeah, exactly. So your staff should be happy. Your staff should be the first one to feel absolutely in love with the job that they're doing. Love and proud of it. They want to go around and tell people that this is the product I built with a team that I love. I think that's, I think to me, that's one of the key things. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is that, and not that we should build three-star products, but I've had better experiences at three-star hotels where the staff was insanely great mm. than I've had at five-star hotels where the staff is self-entitled and terrible. <laughs> I totally agree. Right? I totally agree. Yeah. So if you can get people at a five-star hotel to behave like they love what they're doing, <laughs> it's heaven, right? 
it's uh, we're human. At the end of the day, yeah. You crave that feeling, right? Yeah, exactly. You go into a five-star hotel, you will spend one moment to admire the design. But then the guy who interact with you kind of don't give a crap about who you are. <laughs> right. And suddenly, all of that admiration go to trash. Yeah. But if he smile and he say, you know, just being an, a great human being and inter interact with you, invite you in so sincere, sincerely, very different between, you know, fake doing it and but sincerely doing it. Yeah, yeah. You will suddenly realize that there's this feeling that it's not coming from just admiration of the design itself, right? Yeah. You know that this, this hotel care about me, really, really, truly care about me. Yeah, and I think that other companies can do the same types of things. Look, I don't want to take up any more of your time, Daniel. It's been a really great conversation. I really want to thank you for doing this. I'm going to mispronounce your name again. Daniel Nguyen. Daniel Nguyen, yes. So close. The CEO and co-founder of Writer's End and really so much more. Daniel, thank you so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. We have to have you back on again as well. <laughs> thank you, Michael. It's been an honor for me.